0: Well, how many can say God is good? Praise the Lord. Give him a big hand this morning. He is good to me. Well, give your neighbor a high five, say, I hope you're buying lunch today, and you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles this morning, the book of Judges, Judges chapter 13 and... Let me just encourage you, I need about 50 more people to come to our Saturday night or Sunday first service to kind of give us some space, and if you do that for a couple months, I would really appreciate it. Kind of help us in making space on Sunday morning in this first one. Well, how many deer hunters in the room? Let me see your hand. It's not that important. If I'd have said turkey hunters, you could have yelled like that. But Okay, deer hunter. Okay, How many, how many deer hunters got a deer yesterday? Let me see your hand. Nobody in three services, so we have a church full of unanointed deer hunters in this town. Okay, but I found something as deer pilgrimage to the woods begins, uh, the commitment of a deer hunter to his family. A hunter and his friend were sitting in a tree stand near Highway 8 early one cold December morning. Suddenly a huge buck walked out over the corn they had spread in the low shrub. Now, does that just not seem unfair? Come on, I'm not a deer hunter, but pouring corn out, come on, to get the deer to come now. You non-deer hunters, that sounds like cheating, doesn't it? Okay. The buck was magnificent, a once-in-a-lifetime animal. His rack was huge, and the hunter's hand shook as his mind was counting the boon and Crockett points. That's how big its rack is. Moving quickly, the hunter carefully aimed the Leopold scope on his 300 Winchester magazine at the unsuspecting buck. As he was about to squeeze the trigger on the deer of a lifetime, his friend alerted him to a funeral procession passing slowly down Highway 8. The hunter pulled away from the gun stock, set the rifle down, took off his hat, bowed his head, and closed his eyes in prayer. His friend was stunned That's the most thoughtful and touching thing I have ever seen you do. You actually let that trophy deer go to pay respects to a passing funeral procession. You're indeed the kindest man I've ever known. I feel lucky to call you my friend. The hunter shrugged and said, Shucks, well, we were married for 37 years. Well, I'm not a deer hunter. <clears throat> well, Judges is where we're going. Judges chapter 13. Last week we began a series of messages called Turnaround Leaders for Trouble Times. Can you say that with me? Turnaround Leaders for Trouble Times. We talked last week about Gideon, and this word turnaround is a big word. Turnaround literally means a complete reversal of the situation. And I want you to think with me in terms of application on this, because it's huge. How many know every one of us get in situations that need to be turned around? Schools need to be turned around. Ball teams need to be turned around. Families need to be turned around. Let me show you a picture on the screen of a a young man that's in a turnaround ministry. Now, what does that look like to you? Okay, football huddle. Well, that's the Texas High JV team. And uh, there's a quarterback in the middle named Dalton Crouch. Is Dalton here? Stand up there, buddy, just a second. Now, Dalton is a turnaround leader. This last Thursday night, he just decided to lead his tough fellow teammates, he's the quarterback, to lead them in prayer. Come on, right on the football field before God in the world. Give him a big hand. We're proud of you. Now, we're clapping our hands, but I'm telling you, school districts all over the country are being sued or threatened by, by atheists that don't want prayer anywhere in our culture any longer. You saw on the video earlier about a little kid couldn't hand out suckers at Christmas because it had the name Jesus on it. Religious liberty is under attack in America, and rather than just falling backwards, I think God wants turnaround leaders to get right in the middle of it, whether they're politicians, whether they're lawyers, whether they're quarterbacks, whether they're parents, whether they're coaches, school superintendents. How many know God wants Christians in the middle of these things that are broken? And you know that America as a nation needs turnaround leaders. Not just the president, but all the way down. Just this week you've watched on television the upheaval in the Muslim world. Our embassies are on fire. I saw last night, how many around the world, it was so many on a map of the world, I, I, I didn't get to count them before they took it off the screen, where Muslims are revolting. Of course, the, uh, uh, one of our ambassadors was killed, and as he was, ki- as he was killed in this burning of the American flag and, and lifting uh, the Muslim flag over our, our embassies, listen to what they chanted. They chanted, Obama, Obama, we're all Osama now. Obama, Obama, there are a billion Osamas now. What does that mean? Osama bin Laden. Our president, you know, led the SEALs, take him out, and now the Muslims are saying, okay, you took him out, but there's a billion more of us. Would you think about this now, just a second. When And is it just an accident this began happening on nine eleven. I don't think so either. But our White House Press Secretary told us that this is all because of a film made by a Christian supposedly a Christian, that somewhere out on YouTube, I couldn't even find, but that's out there, put out there four months ago, and now they're mad, so that's the way they get their way. Now, can I suggest to you that in this, there's an elephant in the room that our, our government doesn't know how to respond to, and we need a turnaround leader. The Muslim scriptures, listen, tell them to convert the unbeliever in the heathen or kill him. Now, I know it's supposed to be a religion of peace, but I can tell you this religion of peace every year is involved in the martyrs of up to 150,000 Christians around the world, mostly in Muslim countries. I'm telling you, that's the facts that you don't see reported very often, but believers in the Middle East, churches are being burned now, Christians are scared for their life, they're fleeing their country, and they're making it real hard for them even to get to the United States. Something is going on, and I suggest to you we need turnaround leaders in politics, turnaround leaders in government that can help in issues just like this one that's facing our nation. Uh, This is not a first time. And what I suggest these turnaround leaders should do broadly is someone should be reaching out to convert these Muslim people. Come on, because they have an eternal soul. They need Jesus to convert them, but also to be able to protect us and control the violence. That's what a turnaround leader would do. Now, that's not the first time this has been called for in our society. World War II, after Japan surrendered, think about this now, General MacArthur, the military official responsible for our victory there in in Japan, World War II, he was a devout Episcopalian, and he said these words, Japan is in a spiritual vacuum. Send me a thousand missionaries. Send me a thousand missionaries to Japan because, you see, their god, their emperor, had just been taken down. He'd been dethroned. He asked U.S. missionary societies to send Bibles, Bibles, and more Bibles. But he was ignored. I suggest to you the need for turnaround leaders is greater today than it has ever been here in America. Turnaround leaders at domestic violence. Turnaround leaders in all fields of America today. How many know a turnaround leader is simply a Christian led by the Holy Spirit going to establish God's kingdom in areas that are broken? So let's begin. I want to continue. Last week was Gideon. This week we're going to look at Samson. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now the cycle in the Scripture then in in Israel's history was they would walk with God and would be blessed. They'd get away from God. Uh, uh, Difficulties would come. Judgment would come. Pain would come. And they would finally say, Oh, maybe we need to get back on track with God. And then God would have a leader waiting to lead the people back to Him as a turnaround leader. Well, verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife. Manoah was Samson's dad, and this is Samson's future mom. And the angel said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, I want you to think about this, how disappointing it was not to have a child, but yet God was somehow behind it. Not the only time in Scripture. You see uh, 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 Samuel the prophet, Hannah. Couldn't have a child until the right time. Uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, barren, but yet waiting for John the Baptist to be born. See, when you read the Bible, and this Judges is in our church's Bible reading God for this period of time. If you don't have a God, get one or get the app and look and find it. You see, when I read the Bible, I don't just read for the facts of history. I read for application in my life. So this tells me, I may be going through a disappointing time, a prayer may not have been answered, I don't understand what God is doing, but yet I can see God behind the scenes acting, and how many know it builds my faith? So keep going. Verse 4, Be careful, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. Now that statement is different on what you see on the, uh, on the wall of a, of a restaurant warning a pregnant woman against alcohol. This was not for the child's fetal development. This had to do with being devoted to God and a devotion that began before he was even born. It goes on to say, verse 5, You'll become pregnant, give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut. We'll get back to that. Now, that would have been a favorite scripture when I was a teenager. But that's not what it was about. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite. Everybody say a Nazarite before he's even born. Now, Nazarite was someone who'd made a vow, a commitment with a special relationship, a special devotion or consecration to God. He'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So he was born with purpose, just like you and I were. The Bible says in the Psalms that before you were even born, God wrote the days of our life in a book. So God has a purpose, and His purpose through us is to establish His kingdom here on the earth, to be turnaround leaders. So, in a nutshell, God chose Samson before he was even born. He anointed this man with supernatural strength from the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't have to go to the gym to get this strength. He was a strong guy, but yet there was an anointing that was on his life is what made him to be successful. But Samson had a problem with the boundaries. How many know God gives boundaries in all of our lives? God gives boundaries or well, things we should do and shouldn't do. In His life, be devoted to God. You know, don't the drinking, the hair, the, all these different things. But Samson ignored it. Samson had a problem, a struggle with sexual sin. We'll see about that this morning. He struggled with sexual sin, and he even violated his Nazarite vow. And actually, that violation caused him to to be judged. His his eyes were literally gouged out by the Philistines. But I've got some great news. God didn't throw him away when he messed up. Come on, aren't you glad for that? But God is a God of a second chance. And that's what we're going to look at. But what I want to really focus on this morning in Turnaround Leaders Part 2 is this. It's a turnaround leader's inner world. It's our character. It's what the Bible calls our holiness. The life we live that's set apart to God. I mean, no, we're supposed to be different as Christians. We're supposed to live within the boundaries that God has given us for our good. So let's get into the Bible together today. Judges 14, verse 2. I want to give you four things worth writing down. They're very simple, but there's some lessons that we can apply from this ancient story. Judges 14, verse 2. Samson, now, it's about four chapters in Judges about him. We're reading it, actually, in our Bible reading. Starts in the next day or two. Uh, his 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 time as a judge was... Uh, uh, which was simply a leader, a warrior in Israel, was about 20 years. So let's read his story as it begins. Samson said to his father and mother, and this is early in his life, I saw a Philistine woman in Timnah get her for me so I can marry her. Well, his mom and dad said, surely there's a woman from Israel you can marry. Do you have to marry a woman from the Philistines who are not circumcised? You say, well, what the circumcision? That was an outward sign of, uh, uh, of the covenant of God. It was the, the mark on a man that he was a, a Jewish man. He was a believer. He was an Israelite. And God had chosen the Jews to be a separate people, a dedicated people, not because they were superior morally or any other way, but because that's the lineage through which Jesus Christ would be born. The Jewish people would receive the Mosaic Law. They would be God's chosen special people that the world would receive its Messiah through. And because of that, they were, there was a special consecration that was supposed to be of their lives. And, there's, and one of those rules or laws was that you don't marry outside the Jewish race. But Samson wanted to. Now look at the last verse. Samson said, get that woman for me. She's the one I want. It's like he's saying, I don't care what God says. I don't care about the boundaries. I want what I want. And One translation says, she looks good to me. So turn to your neighbor and say, a good-looking woman will get you in trouble. Or, I see all the women talking to their husbands right now, uh, look at your wife there and say, a good-looking man will get you in trouble, too. And in today's world, anybody will get you in trouble, okay? But, but, but here's the deal. God set boundaries in Samson's life. And if we can take the Bible and make it real for us today, God set boundaries. And these boundaries were to protect him and, listen, to position him for his life's ministry. The first boundary was set by the Mosaic Law. Don't marry outside the, uh, about outside the Jewish race. The second boundary was sexual purity. God has boundaries. See, our world today is trying to rise up against it. It's trying to say it doesn't matter. Uh, the Democratic Party platform, the national platform, just, uh, just uh, included same-sex marriage. So they have added to abortion, Anytime, anyway, anyway, and somebody else will pay for it now. That was upgraded. But now we'll add same-sex marriage. Can I tell you, these are not political issues. These are moral issues. These are spiritual issues. These are biblical issues. And we get to choose whether we live within the boundary or reject it. But you'll see throughout the pages of Scripture, beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, when you ignore God's boundaries and defy them, it brings trouble in your life. And you'll see as it did in Samson. Now, the second boundary was the Nazarite vow. We read earlier he was called to be a Nazarite. Now, most of those that made the Nazarite vow or promise or pledge was for a limited period of time, and they did it on their own. But in Samson's case, God called him to this higher standard from his birth. Now, I want you that, particularly you that are younger, listen to me. How many know when your parents, for example, say... Uh, you can't date until such and such an age, and even at that time, we want you to do a group date. We don't want you to get your heart broken at a young age. And you go, <clears throat> that's a boundary. And you say, I know your parents are stupid. They, okay, I understand that. They don't know what's going on today, but I'm telling you, it's a boundary for your good. You know, if a parent says, I'm concerned about you hanging out with so-and-so because, you know, what I've seen on their Facebook and the lifestyle that they're living, and you say, <clears throat> They're my friend, or you can submit to God's boundary. But I'm telling you that, listen, the more you break the boundaries of God and the boundaries of your spiritual covering, your parents, your church, your pastor, it opens a door for heartache in your life. How many grown adults can say, he's telling the truth right now? I mean, come on, say it out loud. Say he's telling the truth. I, 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 I had a few years of my life where I crossed the boundaries, and the only regrets, I'm 55 now, the only regrets I have for my life happened between my 16, 17, 18, and 19. I'm just telling you. Things that were acceptable in my culture, in my world, that just, you know, everybody else was doing And those are the things that I'm the most ashamed of in my life as a 55-year-old. Most of the things that I've had to ask God forgiveness for happened in that period of time. Boundaries are good. Samson struggled with sexual sin. We read about he wanted to marry the Philistine woman because she just looked fine. Uh, uh, 16.1 says he found a prostitute. 16.4 says he married another Philistine woman, Delilah. I guarantee you she looked good as well, but his lust for this forbidden woman made him vulnerable, and he betrayed the secret to God's power in his life. He lusted or loved her. She wanted money. He lost, and he got his eyes gouged out because of this whole deal. I'm telling you. So, here's a question. Why did did God give Samson boundaries? Now listen. Were these boundaries to withhold something good from him, or was it to protect him from evil and danger? Okay. Now let me ask you a question in our lives today. When the Bible gives us boundaries, are those boundaries to keep us from having fun? are those boundaries to protect us, and listen, to position us for the calling, the mission, the ministry that God has for our life. Listen to me now. This applies to all of us, but particularly you that are young. I'm telling you the decisions that you're making in your teenage years will affect you the rest of your life. Boundaries, listen, that God gives us are for good. That's why I want to read my Bible every day, is I want to know where these boundaries are. Because the Bible is more than just rules. You know something I find in relationship? How many know someone that you really love? You want to please? I'm telling you, your wife, your family, your kids. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, you that are you know uh, not married and you're kind of looking for Mister and Miss Right. Uh, every time you see them, you have a breath mint in your mouth. <laughs> or gum, okay, all right, the cool gum. Uh, Even if you're talking on the phone or Facebooking to them or or, or doing FaceTime, you still have a breast mint. I mean, you are that conscious that you want to put the best foot forward. Why are you doing that? It's because you care about them and you love them. Well, isn't it the same thing? That if we love God, come on, we'll do those things that please Him? Because Christianity cannot be based... The best way to base your Christianity is not because you're scared of God or you have to do something, come on, but it's because you love Him. And it makes a difference. Let's keep moving along now. That's the first thing is the boundaries God gives them. Here's the second thing worth writing down. The source of the turnaround leader's ability is the Holy Spirit. Now when we talk about doing things that are beyond your ability, we're talking about God's Holy Spirit, His anointing in our life. Judges 14 verse 5, a young lion suddenly attacks Samson. Now, verse 6, and I want you to think, when you went to the zoo and and there was a a thick plexiglass between you and this huge beast that you knew had the potential to kill you. At the moment Samson saw him, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and what did he do? He ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. Now, I want to tell you, he is a workout dude there. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. But uh, same thing, 15 verse 14, mind you now, when the Bible says Philist- uh, Samson was a judge, that didn't mean he was a judge in the courthouse like we have today that's deciding laws. He was a, a military leader. He was somebody that was out there. Enemies were in the line. He was like a frontline policeman. I mean, he was the guy with sword in hand protecting people. That was his role. Well, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and then the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power... And then the ropes that were on his arm became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hand. In other words, he had these ropes that tied him up and he just did just like that. And he went and he picked up the jawbone of a donkey that had died. And he took that bone, that he just took a piece of bone and he killed a thousand people. Now I want you to think right now, let's say in this room right now, let's say there's 400 of us here, Okay. Imagine if every chair is filled. That's about 540, I think, 550. Every chair in this room is filled, but then there's 500 more people in here. And and, and, and Jeff is standing on the stage. Can you illustrate here? You're Samson. Come on, buck up now. Give me the, give me the you know, come on. More. Stand on your tiptoes. A little bit more. Okay. Now. I want you to imagine we're going at Jeff. All of us at one time, we've got bow and arrows, and you can shoot. You've got slings with the rock. You've got spears, and you've got a knife. Now, I want you to imagine if just this row of people right here all had a sharp knife in their hand, and they all ran at him at one time, didn't it kind of make sense that he'd come down? So, how is he able to defeat a thousand people? You're a good looking Samson, Jeff. Give him a big hand. How is he able to take out a thousand people? The Holy Spirit. Now this is what I want you to understand because a lot of us disconnect when we think that God can do impossible things but He'll do it through somebody else because He can't do it through me. He can't do it through me because I'm unelectable. Come on, I don't have the money, I don't have the experience, my skin color, my age, all the reasons why it's impossible for it to happen through me. I'm telling you, you and God are a supermajority. You, you and God. Didn't Jesus tell us in Acts one 8 you you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses, but this power comes from God. It's not just us, come on, working out at the gym, and that's the secret of a turnaround uh, leader's success. So if you're in partnership with the Holy Spirit, and God is leading you, I don't care if it's a national issue, if it's, if it's a local issue, if it's a school issue, if it's a family issue, if you're in partnership with the Holy Spirit, doing what He's called you to do, and He anoints you, come on, you and God are a super majority. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, that's big to know that it's not just dependent on me. Chapter 16, verse 19. Sin causes heartache for a turnaround leader. Now, sin causes heartache. Look at verse 19. Now we're in the last chapter of this story about this great man, Samson. And now he he meets his last challenge, Delilah. I bet she looked good. Samson wanted her... He's in relationship again, he puts his head on her lap, and the thing he doesn't know is the Philistine leaders had said, okay, Delilah, look, we know you got Samson, but Samson is making it pretty tough for us in our little political control system here. We can't do anything without him. Heck, he killed a thousand of us the other day, so we want you to find out the secret of his success. And if you do it, we'll give you 1100 silver coins. Let's say if they're an ounce apiece, about $40,000. Now, how many could it get your attention for $40,000? Come on. You'd at least listen to the offer. Now, this is her husband. But she said, money or man? And she chose... Don't grin when you say that, okay? But she chose the money. And what she did is she, she started nagging at Samson. And she started saying, please tell me, how. why are you so strong? And he kind of teased her and he made up two or three things. And then she did the classic, the thing that works anytime time you try. She kept nagging until he finally said, okay, enough. Do your kids do that to you? Come on. It's a perfected art among teenagers. Come on, I understand that. They nag until they get their way. Well, lo and behold, what he did now is he betrayed his Nazarite vow. Because an outward sign of his inward work. You see the Nazarite vow was a heart thing, but it it had some external, you know, outward signs. One was you don't cut your hair, another one was you don't drink wine or products of the of the vine. Another one is you're not associated with, with, with uh with dead people or, or with uh, with dead dead things. Samson violated pretty much all these things He's laying his head now on Delilah's lap. He has no clue what's about to happen to him. How many know sin does that to you? It sets you up and you're not even realizing that the microphone is hot. You're not even realizing the setup that you're in. And all of a sudden, bang not You don't even know that you know, you're know you in a stakeout. You don't even know until the lights come on and the police lights go flashing. She's sleeping on Delilah. And, and, and Delilah called a man and this guy simply took scissors and cut off his hair and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep. Now, this is probably the the, the most insightful scripture in this passage. Here's what he thought. He said, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He lived under the illusion that the secret of his success came from him. See, this was the sin of pride. I'll shake myself free. But this is powerful. He didn't even know the Lord had left him. You can be so... Having grieved the Holy Spirit, have him told him, no, 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 no. And finally, he's not a part of your life and you don't even know it. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and bound him with bronze shackles and put him grinding in a prison. Imagine this flat the floor here, and there's a, there's a grinding wheel that grinds grain, and, and there's a long pole, maybe it's 10, 12 feet long, and Samson is just on this pole every day now, 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day, and all he does is walk in a circle, grinding grain, and they come and they drop in more wheat, and they laugh at him, Hey, guy, who is this? Thank you, we need some more. They hit him with a whip and say, Go faster. And all he's thinking in, What did I do? What did I do? That woman from Timnah, was she worth this? Delilah, was she worth this? That prostitute, was she worth this? Why did I violate my vow? God told me this before I was even born. And he just lived with that torment day after day after day after day. Now I want you to think about this. The door of sexual immorality invited Delilah in his life. And Delilah led him to violate his Nazarite vow. And it opened the door for God's judgment. It is a predictable cycle in life. Sin promises happiness, but it delivers pain. Sin promises happiness, it delivers pain. God's boundaries are for our good. Samson ignored them for years and was nearly destroyed. Let's take the subject matter as it stands about sexual morality just a second. And let me encourage you towards purity in your sexual life. How many know the New Testament standards are clearer than the Old Testament? That a man's relationship between a woman is supposed to be where the sexual union is blessed. And when I say it's blessed, God says, basically, have fun and have some kids if you want to, okay? But that's where God's blessing is. And outside of it is a sin is sinful. Now what's happened is, is, how many have been around cows in your life or raised some kind of animals, chickens or goats or anything like that? How many know you have a fence that keeps the animals in? The rest of you just kind of imagine the barbed wire fence that you see on the side of the road. And that fence is there as a boundary of protection. But how many know the cow always thinks the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? I used to have to walk fence when I was a kid, and, and sometimes a tree would fall on the fence, but most of the time, the cow would stick her head through that fence somehow, and she'd pop out one of the, you know, one of the uh, staples that were holding the wire in, or she would break it, or she would somehow get it. And before you knew it, there's a, there, there's a pathway where the, she's just walking in and out, and she's got all her buddies to walk in and out of it. And she said, the grass is better over there. That's what culture is offering to you today. Listen to this now. It's offering you through through pornography. I mean, who would have ever imagined on your computer and even on your telephone, you pull up something about a mortgage and some old gal in the bikini is dancing in front of you saying, click here. Who would have imagined when Andy Griffith was on television that Girls Gone Wild would, would be a staple of the American diet? I mean, who, but I'm telling who would have imagined our Supreme Court gives more rights to a pornographer than they do to an unborn child? Who would have imagined? But I'm telling you, on the other side of it is pain. And if you don't believe it, ask someone who's contracted a sexually uh, transmitted disease. Ask someone who can't have children later in life because of that disease, or someone who has to carry that disease into their, her relationship with her, her uh, fiancé and is wondering when she's going to tell him and what he's going to say. You don't believe it causes pain? Ask somebody that's gone through an abortion and has had regret. I understand that firsthand. You don't believe this allurement will cause pain in your life? Ask someone that's gotten pregnant. Ask a little girl. My daughter is in uh, seventh grade. She said one of her friends last year got pregnant. Come on. Ask someone like that. And you say, well, okay, I'm going to use a condom because they say that works. Okay, dummy, let me, let me go forward. Just, just go ahead and just sleep with everybody you want to. Then you get married. And then for the rest of your life, your spouse is comparing you, come on, to everybody else that they've slept with. I'm telling you, the world says, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. It doesn't matter who you do it with, whether they're a guy or girl, or whether it's really cool to be by. I'm telling you, it matters and a boundary that God has is not to hurt you, but it's to keep you safe, and it's to give you a platform for success in your life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand on this. Now, mind you, up, uh, Samson struggled with this area all of his life, at least his adult life. But here's my question, because you remember, when he killed the thousand folks, he still had his eyes. This was a part of his life how can somebody living in sin be used by God? Now, here's one of the great illusions, is that if God is using me and something's happening in my life spiritually, but I have a secret life of sin that I have accepted, then that must mean that it's okay. How can God... I'm telling you, the person that had the most... Uh, viable healing gift I have ever seen firsthand. I mean, this guy could pray for people, lay hands on them, and they would be healed. I mean, verifiably healed. Had a secret life of pornography and was beating his wife, come on, and living almost a double life. But yet God would somehow use him and that made it okay. How can that be? Romans eleven twenty nine says, The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Another translation says, God never changes His mind about the people He calls, and the things he gives them. And your ability to do anything supernatural is a gift from God. Samson didn't have supernatural strength because it worked out. He had it because the Holy Spirit would come on his life, and big things would happen.ing Listen, the gift can still work when our character is crumbling. And if everything is going okay in your spiritual life, but you're living in open sin, it is an illusion. And anointing is not a sign of God's approval. Delilah is waiting on you. Come on, and she'll take you out if you don't make a change in course. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Let me wrap up now. It was the sin of pride that blinded Samson. It was the sin of pride that blinded him. You remember the thought when he's with Delilah on her lap and said, I'm going to go out as before and shake myself free? See, he somehow assumed that his ability to minister spiritually was because of himself and not because of God. God. See, that was pride. Pride is an undue confidence in your abilities. See, pride kind of looks in the mirror and says, look at me, look what I have. It looks at the resume and says, look what I've done. It looks at the bank account and says, look how much money I've got. That's what pride does. What's the antidote for pride? Humility. Humility is complete dependence on God. See, humility is built on the Scripture in Acts that says, in Him, in Christ, I live and move and move and have my being, which simply means everything I have, everything I can do, and everything I'll ever do is because of God. And I'm telling you, friends, humility is one of the greatest things. You know what? We can choose to humble ourselves. And how many know it's way better to humble yourself or God has to humble you? Come on, and you're grinding grain for a living. Give the Lord a good hand here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Let me me close with this. Judges chapter 16, verse 28. And here's the coolest thing of the story is God will give us another chance after we fail. Aren't you glad God doesn't throw us away when we're not perfect? How how many will say, because I'm sure not perfect. Come on, both hands and both feet. I I, want to tell you, God will not throw us away. Chapter 16, verse 28. Now the story shifted. They got him out of, the, out of the dungeon, so to speak, where he's grinding grain. And the Philistines are having this major, major party. I mean, everybody that's anybody in, in, in the Philistine community is at this big party. I want you to imagine a building way bigger than this one. And it's held up somehow by two great big pillars that are right on the stage. And what somebody has this brilliant idea, and they said, Hey, bring Samson out here, and let's laugh at him. We'll go up to him and we'll spit on him or whatever we're going to do. We're going to slap him and he can't do anything. We're going to make fun of him. Well, Samson, now, there's an interesting verse, and it said, while Samson was grinding grain, his hair began to grow. Now, look, long hair doesn't produce strength. Come on, now. But what it would in his particular life, it showed us that something was happening in his heart as well with God. How do you know that? because in 16 verse 28 it says then Samson prayed How I many you know it's a different prayer you pray when you're grinding grain than when everything is going great then the Bible said he prayed and in his prayer he said oh God he didn't look to himself he didn't say I'm gonna push he didn't say I've been working out grinding grain no he said oh God please strengthen me just once more Mind you, now, this guy is like a military man. He's like the FBI. He is the Secret Service. He is the ultimate seal. And he is the guy on the front lines to protect people, you know, in a physical way. And Samson reached toward the two pillars on which the temple stood. In verse 30, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Which means his mission in life from God was more important than his very life. And even if he would have said, okay, I'll protect myself, well, what, so what if he'd have lived another two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, fifty years? He's still dead. But in this case, it was his mission. was more important than his life. He pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And interesting, the Bible says he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So, a t- uh, good ending to a tragic story but a story filled with lessons for our life today. And I want to tell you, friends, Samson shows us that God doesn't throw us away when we mess up. Samson shows us that God is a God of a second chance if we turn our hearts back to Him. And I want to tell you, every turnaround leader in this room, come on, needs a second chance from God. Every turnaround leader in this room who's lost their hair, come on, wants their hair to grow again. Come on, wants the anointing back in their life. Wants the opportunity. God, give me just one more chance. Well, I want to tell you by the word of the Lord today, God is the God of a second chance. Come on, and He is for us, and He's not against us, and He's not throwing us away. Give Him a big hand, and I'm I'm done today. Praise the Lord, He's worthy. Why don't you stand to your feet today, and and we're gonna we're gonna just take a moment and just and just pray. And I want to ask you this question as I often do. What did the Holy Spirit say to you in this message? See, you can look at a Bible message or when you read your Bible in devotions every morning, you can either think about the facts or you can try to hear the voice within the voice. And I want to ask you to respond to God based on what you've heard. Sadly, sometimes we confuse hearing with doing. And this is a word today to provoke you to provoke you in your character in your boundaries, in your holiness, in your inner world to keep yourself in a position for God can do, so God can do through you what He's destined for your life. I want you to bow your head just a minute and we're going to have just an opportunity for prayer here. Right now you don't have to, I'm not asking you to come forward or tell a soul about these things but I'm asking you to respond to God. If you're here today and you want to say to God Lord I want to live a devoted life I don't want to live outside the fence and inside the fence, but, but I want to live a devoted life. I want to live kind of like that Nazarite vow. I, I know you've got something for me to do in this life, and I don't want my sin to disqualify me. And today I want to renew my commitment to live a devoted life. Would you just slip up your hand if that's you? Nobody looking around other their business. I think every Christian in America should do this. I want to live a devoted life, God, to you. But I need you to help me. Because I like the grass on the other side of the fence. Come on. I like it. I like it. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to change those desires in me. I I know I've got to make the decision, but but God, would you do a work in my heart to, to help me love the boundaries that you've set up and not to devise ways to get around them or justify them or pretend they're not there? Let me ask a second question. If you're here and say, Pastor, the Holy Spirit has convicted me about an area of my life where I'm violating God's boundary. And I want to acknowledge it to God today. I, I want to repair that fence, that hole in that fence that I've walked through. I want to I want to repair that boundary, and I want to repent. I want to turn from it, and I want to I want to live close to God. I don't want to keep going on the other side, and I need to tell God right now. Would you just lift your hand to heaven? The Holy Spirit's put his finger on something. That's right, many, dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Come on, God's put his finger on something in my life. Nobody else's business. What you're doing is as you're not telling me, I'm not even looking now, you're telling God that I hear what you're saying, Holy Spirit, and I realize this is key to me. Now let me ask you another question. Go ahead and drop your head. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I need a second chance. I've done some things that I'm very ashamed of and I've been beat up with guilt and condemnation, but I have some hope right now and I just want to pray like Samson did, that God would give me another chance. And this time I want to succeed, I don't want to fail. If that's you and you've lived under a cloud of condemnation and shame, and you just want to receive God's forgiveness for this and ask the Lord for a second chance. Would you just slip up your hands right now? Yeah, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Thank God. Lord, all of us today just reach out to heaven for a moment. All of us acknowledge that we're broken people. All of us acknowledge that that grass looks good. But I just think that there's a fresh something moving in the church today. A desire, Lord, for purity. A desire to please you. A desire to live a devoted life. Lord, a desire to do what you've called us to do. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move on our hearts and make us the turnaround leader you've called us to be. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, give Jesus a good hand this morning. God is worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise. I want to close with one last opportunity for personal prayer. We'll sing a song through one time and, and then be dismissed. Let me say I'm, I'm honored to have you here today. Uh, I hope you'll come tonight at 6 o'clock in the cafe for that I Pledge Sunday to engage. We've got about, what, 50 days now to, to let our voice be heard, to, to educate ourselves, to, to, to make a statement about America's future. Come tonight, 6 o'clock, right here at the church. Uh, uh, ladies, hope you'll come this weekend, Friday night, to that ladies' event. It's going to be, I believe, really life-changing woman to woman. If you hadn't registered to vote before you leave, in the lobby there's a table. They'll help you. Arkansas or Texas. But right now we're just going to, in just a second, we're going to start to play and sing and I'm going to ask some people for our prayer team in just a second to come down. But if you're here, and let I me mean, you know sometimes it, you, you need a person to pray with you. I've been at times in my life to where somebody else praying far away was not enough. I felt like I had to go and I had to talk to somebody. I, I just need to tell somebody a struggle I was having. See, the Bible says if we conceal our sins, we won't prosper. But when we confess it and forsake it, we have mercy. Listen, you may, that may be you today. Something you heard in this message that you need God's help for. You realize that Delilah has got you, in a, you know, in a, in a, uh, around the neck. And you want to pray for somebody to break that off of you. I believe something big could happen if you made your way. But we'll pray about anything. Anything in your life or for anyone you love and care about. But also, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I just need to get right with God. My life is not where I need to be in my relationship with God. For some of us, you may not even know if you're a Christian, if you're going to heaven or not. If you died, you don't know. But you know that you don't follow Christ as your Savior, and you want to make that step to God today. Others, you may be here, and you know you're a Christian but you have just gotten away from God. And today you have sensed the Holy Spirit. And right now you're hearing God's call pulling you to surrender your life to Christ and make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. But if that's you, you need to get right with God. You need to be saved. You need to get back on track with God. Let us pray for you. If that's you, just lift your hand real quickly. Let me know you're here. We want to we see that. God bless you, buddy. God bless you right in the middle. Give him a hand and, and give that man a hand. Anybody else say, pray for me. Come on real quickly. I'm out of time. Pray for me. I want to get right with God today. I want, I want to get right with God today before we go. All right, our prayer team is coming right now for prayer. If you need prayer for anything, come on, let us pray. You that lifted your hand, come on up and tell somebody what you're doing. Let us help you. Come on, give them one more big hand as they're coming right now. Our prayer team is coming. You need prayer, you come. And anyone wants to get right with God, you come as well. Come on, we'll sing it one time and be dismissed. I love you. Thanks for coming today.